Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, signing week. Happy uh, Syracuse has a, a full staff, as far as we believe, week, et cetera, et cetera. Happy February. All kinds Happy of February. Stuff yeah. yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I was sure we were doing there. No, I mean, it's just one of those, uh, we're kind of in like that weird place where we can finally like kind of turn the page on, on the previous year's uh, college football season, at least from our standpoint. I know plenty of people have already like left 2019's Syracuse football season for dead, never to return. Um, but for the rest of us that cover the team a little bit more, um, this is kind of the official like demarcation line of like, all right, time to start next year. Uh, we'll be slowly edging into 2020 spring previews next week, things like that. Um but yeah, we're kind of, because Syracuse is not definitively in the bubble conversation right now, I think they're right outside of it. Um, I know it's weird for fans following the team. I know the women's team has really played their way out of the NCAA tournament conversation. Uh, we have lacrosse starting up, but we're not like in the heat of that yet. So it's, it's a stranger place in the calendar, but I'm excited. I feel like by the end of February, we're all going to be uh, very much into uh you know everything else that's happening versus now we're kind of like trying to figure out get our bearings a little bit more um with all these seasons ending and starting and things like that yeah i feel like signing day and obviously signing day isn't exactly what it used to be with the early signing period but um it it kind of is a nice like transition to like officially put football season behind us especially because it comes so far after the super bowl which obviously doesn't really mean much for us specifically but it just has like the feeling of like okay now it's like really like buckle down on basketball um, from here on out. But um, for us this week, it's probably actually more newsworthy than your normal post signing period, post early signing period in December signing day. Cause we had uh, two pretty major football hires this week. Um, one of which we didn't expect to have to make. And then another one uh, that kind of came out of the blue. Um, I think both of which we're pretty happy about, right? Yeah. I mean, reasonably, I, I would say like, I think Tony white, the fact that, you know, he was somebody who, like Dino, was very excited about. He runs a three-three-five. Uh, Arizona State's recently um, promoted defensive coordinator. It, it definitely seems like he's the right fit for what Dino wants to do. He's the right fit um, in terms of like his life and what he wanted to get out of this. So I, I, I like a lot of, I like a lot of the results there. Obviously, like there's a little bit of a concern around. Um, you know, how Arizona State's pass defense looked last year. But at the same time, I think, you know, Pac-12, there's a lot of, uh, you know, offensive firepower in that conference. Um, ASU 
I think it's still easier to get talent than here, but I think ASU, um, you know, definitely isn't in the most advantageous place uh, when it comes to like local talent. Not, I wouldn't say similar to us, but, but similar for the West coast, at least um, in Arizona, I, I think in general, like this feels like the sort of hire that like helps us just kind of turn the page on what happened last year, turn the page on what happened with our net and, and, and get running. So uh, I'm excited to see that. I'm also excited to see uh, the new cornerbacks coach, uh, Chip West, as in the door. We can talk about him in a little bit. But Dan, what were your uh, what were your first takes on White? I know he's a uh, Dan. He's mostly a West Coast guy. Uh, he's come from kind of the San Diego State um, coaching tree, three three five, which is is a plus for us. And he was a Florida recruiter when he was at Arizona State, um, and he's won Mountain West Recruiter of the Year awards um, from the various recruiting sites. So I do feel good. Uh, about what we're getting, at least uh, on paper. Yeah, I, I think if you liked the uh, Arnett hire, I think you should like most of what White brings to the table. Um, he's actually like a little more experienced in terms of uh, coaching. Um, he seems to have more of a recruiting background, which is good. Um, obviously, as you said, this like the Arizona State defense wasn't great this year, but they took a big step forward from 2017 to 2018, especially in the secondary, which was his first year there. So I don't know enough about um, their personnel to really know like what the drop off was specifically. Uh, this year, but um, he comes from that San Diego State system, which has been really excellent under Rocky Lawn for a long time. And he was, you know, good enough where Herm Edwards felt comfortable promoting him before he even promoted like Marvin Lewis, who ended up getting the bump up. Um, Marvin Lewis is already there in like a role. If you watch that HBO special with them, like he's obviously Herm's like right hand guy, and uh, White is the one who got the tab before him. So um, part of that might have just been like a, a numbers game. It's hard to know, but. Um, I think, you know, overall, like the, this, the Dino had the type of coach he wanted. Um, he kind of went down the line from that Rocky Lawn uh, tree, at, starting with Rocky himself. And it seems to be very predicated on that game um, that was cited in a couple of the articles he, when, when Dino was at Eastern Illinois. And he became super kind of enamored with uh, the three three five, just seeing it up front and like seeing how it, it shut him down. Obviously, there was like a talent discrepancy between Eastern Illinois and San Diego State, but still um, overall, like I, I kind of appreciate that Dino uh, seemed to like identify what he wanted out of this hire and then just kind of went down his list and seemed to have a pretty good process overall. Um, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty happy with it. I, especially like, I think the, uh, the one edge, well, aside from the fact that he didn't leave after a couple of weeks, but he, uh, it seems like he's uh, probably a bit, he's, he's a little, uh, farther into his coaching career so um you know there's a chance i think he ends up sticking around longer than arnett would have if, if the mississippi state thing hadn't come around um but also like i i just think uh there's there's also a little bit of a crossover with babers previously at ucla um so yeah maybe not the same upside we would have gotten from arnett because he was more directly involved with that rocky lawn defense but i think you're getting uh a very very similar pedigree and background so overall i, I think um if you like the last hire, this one, uh, based on what we know, is pretty similar on paper. Yeah, um, this is basically, I wouldn't even call it like Zach Arnett light. I think it's Zach Arnett with New York ties. Uh, <laughs> New York ties and the Florida recruiting ties, which uh, are very nice. Obviously, I don't know the total breadth of what he was doing in Florida for Arizona State, but uh, that was one of his areas. And the fact that he has any background there is is a plus for us. Yeah, I agree. And realistically, I think he brings much more recruiting prowess to the table than like Arnett did. Um then we'll, we'll get into Chip West in a bit, but yeah, I, I think he brings a lot of that. 
I, I think, like you said, he does seem like somebody who's maybe willing to be settled down a little bit more. Not that he would never leave, but that this could be a, a longer term hire and not just a, a bit of a mercenary hire. Um, you know, the three, three, five is great. I, I think that, you know, people have been writing quite a bit about it lately. I know uh, Stephen Bailey had a really great conversation about the three, three, five with Tony White um, on the Syracuse.com uh, sports podcasts. I'd recommend uh, checking that out if you can. Um, hearing it from White himself, um, you know, it's kind of a great bit of insight that we rarely get, especially once SU coaches are in the door. Um, usually Dino's a bit um, more closed in terms of what assistants, you know, talk about with the media, how much they're talking to the media in general. So great to hear it directly from the horse's mouth on that front. Uh, I think the 335 is so appealing to me in particular because um, it's similar to a lot of the things we've been doing uh, for the last like year and a half, two years now, which is great. I think it fits our personnel. Now, Steve's brought this up a couple of times and I know he had it in an article that we were going to publish like the day that Arnett left. <laughs> so that one's going to be rebranded. Um, it'll be out soon, but yeah, realistically, like you look at who we have, we don't necessarily have like four surefire uh, defensive linemen right now, uh, starting wise anyway. We don't have, um, I think, surefire linebackers either, um, but we do have a decent amount of players in the secondary. Um, we also have two like kind of hybrid players in Trill Williams, um, who's kind, who could play um, kind of a linebacker or, you know, corner role. Um, he's played nickel in the past. Um, and then we have Tyrell Richards, who is kind of a hybrid linebacker, um, you know, defensive lineman. So having the 335 allows us to deploy kind of those two players, um, you know, in, in more, in, I think more, more strategically and, and actually like put them to use. They feel like both of them have been like woefully underutilized. Obviously Trill had that big play to end the season uh, that we're really appreciative of, even if it was unnecessary. Uh, but, but at the same time, like, just having him and, and Tyrell Richards uh, on, on the field more, two of the better athletes on the team. Um, I'll, I'll take any scheme that, that, that makes that happen. Yeah, and it's, it's not like a strict uh, formation that you're going to, like, we have to have five defensive backs on the field. You could very easily shift up um, and have one of those hybrid players playing more of a, an outside linebacker slash pass rusher role, so it shifts into more of a 3-4 or even more of a 4-2-5, depending on, uh, the matchups you want. So I definitely appreciate it being kind of adaptable. Um, I think it matches up pretty well with the, the spread concept that are all over the lead now. Um, and, and there's a chance uh, that you get kind of uh, some arbitrage on the defensive side, similar to what we've tried to do offensively, taking advantage of a unique system that gets players in space and uh, can best utilize the talent that we've available to us. So, um, and, and obviously with the secondary being, I'd say pretty, you know, easily uh, the, the, strength of the defense talent wise it just makes a lot of sense and it's what babers wanted and and he went and got what exactly what he was looking for so um yeah it's a very it's a relief overall to have this whole process uh settled after what was a very long drawn out first hire and then obviously a weird thing uh with our net uh i am just praying that whatever happens with michigan state doesn't result in uh the same thing happening which obviously seems incredibly unlikely but it was like the first thing that popped into my mind because those two news stories broke about the same time with the antonio stepping down i'm like okay they're gonna go hire someone and uh you know just based on syracuse stuff uh they'll, they'll probably come and hire white somehow but uh joking aside i don't think that will happen um just very very glad to have our our staff um, as far as we know, at least, uh, pretty in, in place. I think we have a full staff as of now. 
Um, I know you've alluded to uh, the possibility of White bringing someone in. It's it, you know, Syracuse is pretty locked up about these things. So if that happens, we might not know it's going to happen beforehand. But um, at the moment, we have the full numbers uh, for what it looks like we'll have going forward. Yeah, for those that uh, kind of keeping track at home, uh, Brian Ward was fired last year. We've brought in uh, Tony White now to replace him as defense coordinator. Um, it seems like Mike Lynch has been demoted from offensive coordinator. Um, we haven't gotten that officially, but it seems that that's the case. Uh, Sterling Gilbert, who used to work with Dino Babers at East Illinois, um, he will be uh, the new offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Uh, having him plug in as quarterbacks coach also shifts uh, Kirk Martin um, into more of a support role on the staff. Uh, we were also able to uh, move. I know before all the hires got started, Kim McLeod was was uh, moved to a support staff role, or at least that's what we think is going to happen, um, away from the cornerbacks coach role. And in his place will be Chip West, um, who is the new cornerbacks coach. He uh, was at Marshall last year. He was at Charlotte the year before that. Um, the thing people will care about here uh, – West has some New York experience. He's coached at um, Fordham and at Colgate. He's a great recruiter. He, uh, he was named recruiter of the year a couple of times um, in the ACC from 24-7 and rivals and scout uh, when he was at UVA. Obviously, Mike London, uh, I think, did some of the heavy lifting on that front, at least from what I gather from uh, UVA fans. So that's something to watch. But at the same time, he's a you know, Hampton, Virginia native, um, understands uh, kind of that whole area. So we're going to get, we already had Reno Ferry kind of handling the DMV, but I think having somebody come in uh, for the Virginia beach, Norfolk area, um, you know, with West to me, I think we're going to start leaning re- pretty heavily um, into that mid Atlantic region um, in, in terms of, in terms of bringing in talent and we'll, we'll get to recruiting in a bit, but to, to me, that was the, the the big thing that I'm not really concerned with what Marshall's cornerbacks looked like last year. I'm, I'm very, very interested in, you know, what he does as a recruiter. And, and as the 2021 class gets going, um, I'd very much like to see us start converting on some, uh, you know, not to knock the 2020 kids, but, you know, some more blue chips, some more, like, like we offered a bunch of them last year. I'd like to see us, you know, get back to converting, even if it's just a handful, um, to, just to upgrade the talent level a little bit more. Yeah, honestly, like the two, you can make an argument uh, that the two um, most, the two strongest uh, recruiting bases that we have are Florida and the DMV region. Um, the DMV we had kind of gotten away from under Schaefer and, and to start Babers, it was way stronger under Marone, uh, even Robinson. Um, and with this whole higher cycle, we've bolstered our Florida recruiting with White. Um, so we have Nick Monroe is probably our best recruiter on the staff before this uh, is a Florida guy. And then Ferry is probably one of our other more recruiting based uh, coaches. And now we are bolstering the DMV um, here uh with this other hire so it's just uh i think overall it's it's been what i I was really hoping for with these hires i think recruiting kind of um not that it's been like bad it hasn't really been much different than what we've had and i expected to take more of a step forward uh this year especially coming off the 10 win season because usually you'll see the results of like the season that had happened like the following recruiting cycle when you have a full year to sell it and this year it again it's not a class that's a huge step down it's just not a huge step up um so with white and west i think um both have a ton of experience and and should be able to to bring some some serious uh benefits in terms of the on the field coaching but i do think we've added two uh recruiting centric 
pieces pieces to the staff, which I think was an important thing to address in this offseason. So um, definitely nice upgrades there. And just overall, like going from, you know, not to, to discredit the, the three guys who have been replaced in one manner or another, but we've added, uh, you know, Arizona State's defensive coordinator, uh, a former Texas offensive coordinator slash uh, FCS head coach and uh, a very, very experienced defensive backs coach who was an ACC recruiter of the year, I think multiple times. So like, I think in terms of a one year turnaround on a, on a coaching staff, it's about as exciting as uh, a group as we've brought in outside of like a first year head coach uh, in since I can remember, like it's, we're getting like real power five level coach, coaches here, which is, uh, you know, pretty good for Syracuse. It's what you want. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before, like how how infrequent uh, coaching changes, even at the assistant ranks, seem to be for Syracuse uh, football. Well, I mean, basketball, definitely, but football in particular, too. Uh, the turnover is not that high, mostly because we've been so bad of late that nobody wants to hire our assistants. Uh, <laughs> but at, at the same time, like like you said, this seems like a, a great step forward where, you know, Dino actively was able to, you know, get maybe not the most in-demand coaches, but coaches who have, for the most part, like sitting jobs and said like white, even if he was just recently promoted, even if there was a situation um, put in place that, to potentially replace him, uh, you know, at Marvin Lewis and Antonio Pierce um, at ASU, I, I think that that's still, you know, a, a nice coup. Uh, I, in general, I'm just, I'm excited about the fact that, you know, the Arnett thing could end up being a blessing in disguise too, because, he wasn't necessarily the recruiter we needed. So we probably needed to bring in somebody else. And maybe that was West. Maybe it was somebody else, you know, in, in a similar role. But now um, I, I do feel like we have, you know, at least two recruiters. I'll see what Gilbert can do. I, I'd like to see Gilbert, um, you know, help us in Texas a little bit more. Uh, we've been kind of hot and cold down there, obviously, um, the last few years. And I know you and I and other people have, have really been on the train of, it's not easy to get talent out of Texas, given how many programs are down there and, and how experienced they all are implementing these systems. But at the same time, we do have an ideal situation for it, um, letting you stand out in a dome um, and, and against a lot of you know players that might not necessarily be as used to um, playing against a spread uh, compared to, like again, kids in Texas, kids in the Big 12. So overall, I feel like th- this is a nice upgrade, but... You know, this is still going to be a little bit of wait and see for the next 12 months as we wait for this class to start to come together. And you know, we had junior day. Uh, we're not going to talk about it, but uh, anyway, at junior day recently, it seems like there's a lot of, you know, high quality kids there. I just really like to see us convert. Um, and something I got into in, in the article that, that went up on Thursday, you know, not everybody agreed with it. Um, I'm not looking for some to be a top 30 class, but I do think that, you know, short term goal, I think of top 45 to 50 uh, group, you know, isn't much of a stretch and, for as much as I do like the, the aspects of this class, I, I, it's not it's it's not worth bragging too hard when you look at like how we got here. Like you know, I, I do think that the, the Germany hail marys helped, um, but they they were hail marys to some extent. Um, obviously, a couple of JUCO guys. Um, you know, I, I think I think getting uh, getting Bleich from uh, Florida is, is a really nice get but not necessarily recruiting win as much as it is just being able to sell a, a transfer win. Um, and then, you know, no offense to, you know, the two quarterbacks, Jacoby Morgan and uh, Dylan Markowitz, but these were guys who were unrated until they were offered by us and then picked up three-star ratings um, from two of the three services. So I, I think that they could both be diamonds in the rough that very much work out. But uh, to me, there's definitely a, 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 not a full step back, maybe a half step back 
um, with kind of what we ended up here with here. So again, don't, don't need us to suddenly have a top 20 class that's unrealistic. I don't even think a top 40 class is realistic at this juncture. Um, but I think hovering somewhere around the 45 to 50 range seems reasonable, um, especially after a 10-win season. Yeah, I mean, I, again, like I think the rankings are always going to be what they are, and Syracuse is always going to rely on guys who are floating under the radar or from less traditional backgrounds to see the two Germans or the however many Canadians we've brought in over the last couple of years. Um, but you just need to hit on the bigger guys. I mean, you look at 2018, that class is rated probably, I think, ranked like in the high fifties. So, or whatever you want to say, the like 51, 52, I think. And uh, that ended up probably being one of the most productive freshman classes in the country that the, the first year they were on campus with Cisco and Chul Williams and all them. So, if you, I'll take the 2018 class all day, whatever the rankings are, uh, look like. The problem is that, like, I'd say three quarters of our classes are fine, but they don't quite look like that. And if you can start to get more production like that, or even like even a step below, because we hit on so many big players in that class, I don't really care what the 24 7 rankings say, because on the field, you can see like the real difference between that and what the, the classes we had brought in were like. Um, so we'll see. I mean, time will tell, but like that's the type of group that I think we should be setting our sights on. And then if you want to take a step forward from there, but you know, you, you see the difference in upgrading your talent to that level. We, we got a 10 win season right off the bat because you had a lot of guys that were able to push um, some less talented starters or established veterans and step in right away. And, and you're, you're really, you know, making a big step forward. Um, obviously, last year, I think most of those guys still played well. It was a matter of not having the depth uh, behind them and not having um, just the, the the you know, senior-type players like Dungey. Um, but overall, I, I think uh, that's a way more realistic goal than, you know, going and all of a sudden having a top 25 class and, and becoming this, this program that you're not. Because if you just look on year-to-year recruiting outside of, like, major hires or major slumps like USC is having this year. Um, the names at, are pretty stagnant. Like the teams that are in the top 10 are usually around the top 10. The teams that are, you know, 25 to 40 are usually around 25 to 40. Um, it's a long, long multi-year, if not multi-decade process to really move up uh, a spot year over year. But you want to constantly be getting in the higher end of what you're able to do. And then maybe you can start to like, scratch your way up the list. Yeah, that's a great point there. I mean, you know, d- don't get caught up as much in the numbers as much as just the the quality quality of players, where they're coming from, you know, what 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 scouts are saying. I know like Cisco is a three-star, but there were, there were plenty of opinions that that he could really be a standout. I know uh I know I feel like a couple of years ago I was on um Tomahawk Nation's podcast with Bud Elliott and he was saying like Cisco he'd seen him play um at IMG and was like super impressed by him. So like stuff like that um, yeah, I mean, that 2018 class too was around a top 50. Um, and obviously, you know, had some standouts, you know, like I, I kind of tried to get across in the piece. You're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to get all blue chips or even like majority blue chips or even like more than like 10% of your class, uh, to be like real, like quality players like that. But at the same time, like this coaching staff has shown their ability to coach up guys. Um, you just can't expect to be able to coach up everybody. Um, and, and that's, you know, it, it's a nice thought. It, it's kind of what Schaefer was hoping for in a lot of cases was, um, you know, between like coaching up everyone and also um, hoping that you, you know, won the NCAA clearinghouse lottery on, on a few other like options. Like it's not the easiest way to build a winner. Um, 
I, I, I have faith that this group's going to be all right. I have faith that recruiting's going to be all right, especially now that Dino's addressed it. Um, but we'll see. Uh, I said, uh, looking forward to it. Um, Dan, why don't we take a quick break for our sponsor? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. Um, you know what? Why don't we do a little halftime and then we can jump into some basketball since I'm sure people want to hear plenty about that. Cool. Um, yeah, I definitely had a bigger beer week than I've had probably all of 2020, uh, which was nice. Um, had a uh, blow up watermelon uh, Fultz beer uh, or from Fultz beer. Um, which was a, a really nice, well-balanced uh, watermelon sour. Um, had a karaoke king from KCBC, uh, which was quite good. Had a, a Delorious by Lord Hobo. Um, actually, had a couple of those uh, the other night. Um, a nice IPA from that Massachusetts brewery. Uh, some Super Session Number Eight from Lawson's, obviously one of the better breweries in the Northeast. Um, uh, telekinesis from Grimm here in the city. Uh, pretty, pretty intense sour. Um, and then uh, Marshmallow Eyes from Commonwealth Brewing down in Virginia. Um, so nice bits of things this week. Very nice. Uh, not a ton for me. Uh, I just ended up grabbing a couple six packs. So it's really just alternating between two beers. Uh, Pizza Port had their uh, their latest West Coast IPA, Surfari uh, IPA. That was really good. Uh, again, I'll always, uh, I'll always stand for a good West Coast IPA. Also had some Hitchhiking, hitchhiking Ghosts uh, Hazy IPA from Browage West, uh, which is down in San Pedro um, here in LA. So that was really it. Definitely uh, didn't really challenge myself much. Just kind of hung around the house, some Super Bowl drinking, things like that. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, sometimes you need one of those weekends. And since I feel like I'd already done a decent amount of uh, being out and about in 2020, I figured, you know, keep it low key. But um What's not low-key is uh, Syracuse basketball, men's basketball in particular. I feel like the women's team is, is very low-key this year, unfortunately, <laughs> based on the results. Um, but we won't get into that because I don't feel like getting bummed. Um, Syracuse lost two straight after winning five in a row. Uh, this has not been enjoyable. I feel like the Duke game was interesting until it wasn't. Um, then it got interesting again toward the end a little bit. Um Duke obviously had a big advantage at the free throw line. They were hitting at a much higher clip than they have all season. Uh, we were missing at a clip higher, not higher than we had all season, but certain players were. Um, I know Buddy in particular uh, struggled as did Joe Girard. Uh, Marek Dolzhai, though, had arguably the best game of his career. Uh, 22 points. He, uh, he looked like a force and exactly the sort of player that you and me and everybody else have uh, pretty much been begging for him to be for his entire career. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we've seen flashes of that kind of die from him. And this year, I think he he definitely has taken a step forward offensively overall. Um, this game, like, showed you, even with, like, the foul trouble he had to deal with, um, which is, you know, a consistent issue for our bigs in general, um, just how impressive he could be. The Duke bigs, like, for, for all the, the ink spilled about Vernon Terry, who was totally dominant against us, and most people, he's a, you know, probably an All-American. Um, they had no answers for Marek. Marek could do whatever he wanted in that game offensively. 
And uh, he's just so crafty from when he catches the ball in the high post uh, with that long stride he has, uh, his ability to get to the rock, his ball handling ability, his passing ability. Like, I, I loved seeing him dead aggressive, um, knocking out his free throws, which was an issue earlier in the year. Um, so, yeah, I'm not going to get too worked up about the Duke game. I thought it played out about as you expect with the difference between talent between the two teams. Um, I thought Syracuse hung relatively well. And honestly, like, that's we've seen it before. Like, Duke will handle us one game. And if we play him again, like, it's the, the difference was we couldn't shoot. Uh, and when, you, when we're shooting 23% from three and 38% from the field, um, I think you'd probably expect most teams to beat us by more than nine. Um, if we shoot our normal numbers uh, and our top three shooters aren't like, a combined what I think there are all of our shots six or 26 from three. Um, if they even shoot 35%, like we probably win that game. So um, that's not to say that like there weren't issues that Duke's athleticism presented on the uh, perimeter, but you know, we've, it's, it's like any game, like where there are games where they'll play the same defense and Buddy's just unconscious or Gerard's hitting his bombs before, like later Hughes uh, has a vintage game versus the game he gave us, which, you know, he got to the line and, and was able to do some things, but it, it certainly like sits for 19 is not what you're looking for from him. Um, so yeah, I, I think overall, like it, you never want to lose a game, but with how Moret played, how Sadiba uh, 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 continues to play, I think he's had his best stretch probably of his career here. Um, even Quincy uh, hustling really well, still doing uh, the good things. I mean, I'll take seven and seven from him most nights. Um, overall, like I, I feel about as I did heading into last week, after, even after the two game lo- uh, losing streak we have here, I think, there are still some some positive signs moving forward for the team. Um, and hopefully we are able to get back in the wind column this weekend. And it's a very, very susceptible week team. Yeah, I agree there. I mean, obviously like Bobby and James kind of rehashed the Duke game a bunch, but uh, without like diving too deep, I do think in general, like this was, this was an expected effort. I don't necessarily feel too different about the team. Like you said, after those two losses, I think, those are correctable issues. I think foul trouble is something that I don't think is going to get corrected, but is correctable. Um, I don't think you can necessarily correct for the athleticism advantage um, and shooting abilities uh, that Duke displayed over us. But at the same time, that gap does get closed uh, pretty easily just by, you know, hitting your shots a bit more. And that's something that we were doing for a while in the first half, despite not hitting from three. Um, I just couldn't connect in the second half. So things that we can learn from, um, I'm, I'm overall optimistic. I mean, I'm optimistic about, what it's going to look like the rest of the season. I'm not necessarily optimistic about like their tournament chances, um, especially given like what we have ahead and what they need to do um, in order to win. But still, I, I, I think we have a, a shot at a fun finish to the season, if nothing else. Looking ahead a little bit, uh, Wake is their usual. I feel like they haven't really been good other than that one year. Um, every time, well, every year we've been in the ACC, Uh, That was the one year that they managed to edge into the large field over us for reasons unknown, um, despite the fact that we beat them head to head. Uh, Wake's 10 and 12 this year. They are three and nine in league play. Uh, On Wednesday, they uh, lost by 10 to Louisville, which is actually pretty decent showing, uh, especially at Louisville uh, for them. I think they were winning that game for a while and then they kind of just fell apart. Yeah, that's, that's, that's That's about right. (laughs) That sounds like Wake. They got a, they have four guys who can score in double digits, uh, Brandon Childress, uh, Olivier Saar, uh, Shondi Brown, Andrian White. Uh, I know like Saar is a legitimate center. He's got nine and a half rebounds a game, uh, scores 13 points a game. 
Uh, he's 50% shooter overall. Uh, Wake isn't a great team from outside, which is nice. Uh, but yeah, that uh, having like a legitimate center and then having a bunch of other like quality rebounders does give me a little bit of a reason to pause. I don't think we lose this game. However, um, I think Wake is going to really test us. And I think this could be um, a pretty tight matchup, similar to what we've seen just about every game um, in the last, you know, couple weeks. Yeah, it'll be an interesting one. I think Wake, um, they're not good. They're not, probably, I don't think, quite as bad as their record. Um, their luck uh, number from Ken Palm is like, really bad so i think they're probably a little better than the record shows um they're not bad offensively uh even uh, as a non-great shooting team and they play pretty fast so i think it will be a, a, a clash of styles i expect syracuse to win it um and it's a very important game for us i think getting these nets two against wake and state at home um obviously i don't know that that would eat, i mean i don't think those two wins uh, alone get us into the tournament but i think it kind of stems the tide on this little slide we've had and and keeps us afloat for like you know top four in the acc looks pretty good and we would probably find ourselves around there again winning these two with virginia just a game ahead of us right now and us having the tiebreaker um nothing like i even think being in fourth versus fifth is all that advantageous as we probably could use the extra uh easier acc tournament win on our on our resume so we might want (laughs) to i honestly think we're probably rooting to get like the five or six is probably the best idea the which is so dumb like it is what it is but you i think you want to play one of those easier teams that did another win um but you know there's nothing we can really do you have to win the games anyway so you don't really have control of that um but yeah, I just think we have two very important ones here uh, with these two North Carolina teams before uh, probably the most pivotal stretch of the of the season with the at uh, Florida State at Louisville games on the 15th and 19th. Uh, win one of those, and I think we have a real shot, um, assuming the back end of the schedule doesn't uh, kill us for some unknown reason. Um, but I think without uh, two wins here, things get pretty, pretty dicey. I mean, they're already very dicey, but they get dicier in terms of like best case scenario. Yeah, I mean, realistically, if you, I think if you lose, I think you can lose one of these games, but then I think you tack on another win that you need in the ACC tournament by doing so. Um, I think the only way to erase a loss, I don't think we can lose to any of these teams and like, well, any of the, the peer programs and be okay. Um, if you don't knock off Louisville or FSU, and I don't think we're, we're suited to knock Louisville off. So I think it's going to have to come against FSU. Um, that's concerning. Um, I just think Louisville is the, the perfect storm um, in terms of like what can absolutely chew this Syracuse defense alive because we, we both know that this is not um, a vintage orange zone by any uh, stretch of the imagination. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, ESPN matchup predictor says 84.1% against Wake on Saturday and 66.9% against NC State. We'll get more into the NC State game at the early part of next week. Um, but I, I buy the percentage on wake. I, I, maybe I'd, I'd up it a little bit, but again, that's just because I, I think I'm just a little concerned against wake. We actually have one of the better records against any opponent, uh, against wake. Like I think by a win percentage, they were once, uh, the presidents, I believe of the, uh, orange six and hour better club. Um, but no longer, um, as you mentioned, Ken Palm numbers actually look a lot better than the record shows. Um, 70th on offense, 150th on defense, 78th in terms of pace. Uh, so they are going to try to push the tempo. Um, 70th on offense really isn't bad from an efficiency standpoint. Um, I think if we can shoot, then this is every game really. I think if we can shoot well from three, 
um, and we can slow them down maybe a little bit to our pace. Uh, they're not efficient enough on offense to, to necessarily eat us alive. So I'm, I'm optimistic, but cautiously as a, as I feel like it's usually the case for me. Yeah. And, and like, I think we've done very well to make overall, but we've seen some games where they've been pretty bad and all of a sudden they're giving us a, a run. So you can't take anyone too lightly, even if Syracuse has mostly handled its business against these type of opponents. Um, I don't think wakes, I mean, obviously they're not Duke. I don't think there's as Clemson. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, get back in the wind column on Saturday and, you know, things are pretty much where they've been. I, I don't think either of those, I mean, the Thompson loss isn't great last week. You don't want to have, it really stings to have, uh, what, three ACC losses by a total of five points. Not what you want. Yeah. Um, but I think things have not, like our, our NCAA tournament odds have not drastically changed uh, since the little winning streak. So, um, overall, like, I think the situation is pretty much where it's been. Yeah, agreed. Um, I, I think if you look at, I guess looking at the schedule a little bit, um, like, do you agree with my general assessment? I think if we lose one of these games and like, cause I don't think, to be honest, I don't think we can make the tournament without beating one of FSU or Louisville, either here or like once we get to the ACC tournament, I think you have to beat a team of that caliber. So like, I don't think your win even against like Virginia is going to cut it. I, I think no, you I have agree. to beat FSU, Louisville or Duke in the like at some point in this season yeah and you want to i mean i the one thing that gives me like some i feel i can't remember the last time we didn't win one of these types of games even the years we have made the tournament we get one of these so i i feel you know okay that like there's a good chance of us winning one of these two pivotal ones um you don't want to bank on the acc tournament where we just have not played well ever um and you don't well, know is the, really i guess is the uva game that game this year like if you look at like I mean, I just don't think they're that good. <laughs> right. No, well, I agree with that, too. Maybe it is. Uh, but realistically, that's... they are 15 and 6. They are 7 and 4 in the conference. They're not, I mean, they're not great, but they're not definitely not, they're not a vintage Virginia team. They're 54 it's our best, it's our best win. Yeah, definitely our best win. I guess that's the problem almost. <laughs> right. Like, like it, it could be the best win because that's how good or not this team is. But yeah, I, I, I do think looking at the ACC and, and agreeing with you that we usually pick up a game like that. Um, FSU is the one circled for me. Um, and, and we talked about this in the past too, that day after Valentine's day, uh, nooner at FSU almost seems like an advantage for us. Yeah. The noon home team, you never want to be the new, it's just like, I've been to so many of those games at the dome uh, when I was a student, like, the noon home game, especially that for whatever reason, the Valentine's Day game that there there's always one on the Saturday. It's uh, just everyone's sleepwalking. Yeah, I remember Louisville game my senior year, so 2010, was like an absolute disaster. I remember it well. <laughs> like that was. I think we had the CBS game too, and it was just like. That was not... when we were ranked number one, wasn't it? I it, if it was around that time, I mean, if we weren't number one in that game, we were like right around it. And Louisville was just the team we could not beat that year, and they weren't that good. They were like probably one of Patino's more mediocre, like late year teams. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, 66 to 60 was the final. Um, I remember being very angry. My now wife got me a uh, West Johnson jersey for Valentine's Day. <laughs> Romance. <laughs> <laughs> romance and then anger and regret <laughs> yeah no no just just reading the recap getting really pissed off now why 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 do we do this why do we reflect on losses from literally 10 years ago oh god that's what we do no we're we're, we're, we're super washed now Dan. i've seen too much about the iowa syracuse football game that i wasn't even there for from from 14 years ago this week because of jokes um <laughs> <laughs> we just don't need this. As discussed before, that, that 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 more than any other game is the game that like forms my general opinion on Syracuse sports and politics. And politics. <laughs> We're not going to get into that in this episode. Dan and I probably have some thoughts. I think we now have like a weekly a weekly tradition of hinting at politics without actually going into them, um, and that's probably going to be the rest of our lives. Uh, Welcome. Let's mention a little bit more about Wake Forest, just so people don't get mad about the SEO. Um, play at the Wake Forest preview. Um, and who's this who's the scariest player for Wake for you? Is, is it Saar or is there somebody else who like just gets you very concerned? Let's see. <laughs> we're, we're reading the tea leaves here. Uh, can I say Jacoby Neath? Oh, I mean, Jacoby, first of all, Jacoby's <laughs> name is fantastic because it's spelled not at all how you would expect. No, it's I've never seen a J A H C O B I, but I appreciate it. Yeah, well done. Um, I mean, if he was if he managed to go off from three, and I know we're not doing this anymore, um, that would be less expected. The person that I'm not going to say it. I, I I think it's uh, I think it's Ismail Masood who uh, who is the guy that if somebody's going to like go off randomly, I think it's him. Yeah, very possible. 22 of 59, averages 11 minutes. Sounds about right. He's he's the class of like if, if ever there was a if ever there was a match. He's played in every game. He's actually one of only three four Wake players who has played in every game. Um, none of them are their three top stores. Um, yeah, I, I I think I mean you know what you're getting out of this team. Childress is like a solid store, but not a great shooter. Uh, Sar, we've seen the mid men eat us up. Um, Donna had a good piece. Uh, I think today, Thursday, when we're recording, about the the troubles that like really big guys have known us, and, and Sar's one of them. He's a seven, like legit seven foot two fifty uh, guy with like pretty good offensive game, averaging thirteen uh, nine and a half rebounds. Um, so you know, if he gets our guys into foul trouble and and Barama can't hang, like that could be an issue. Um, but it's you know there have been games where we've done a pretty good job of denying the ball to those guys. So. Yeah, it's uh, aside from them, I'd say uh, Masood, maybe uh, Andrian White, who's uh, their best rotational three point shooter. Um, although, again, this team, you know, they're averaging 34, they're shooting 34%. It's not a huge, it's not a huge part of their team. That's, that's completely fair. I'm just looking up while we're doing this. I was seeing if, if we have the best record against Wake of any major conference team, but uh, we don't. Uh, we're eight and, eight and one against Wake all time. Um, some other teams that are near, well, we're 5-0 against TCU. 
Uh, so winning percentage wise, uh, we're one and zero against Texas. Shocking you played TCU that many times, and I know one was in the tournament a couple years ago, but that's just such a random opponent to have played five times. We played we played them a couple years ago in the tournament. Uh, we had a neutral, we had a home game against them in twenty two thousand five for some reason. Um, we had a neutral site game against them in nineteen ninety seven. Um, then we played them at home. We hosted them in 91 and 87 for reasons unknown. Um, seems weird. Other teams that we have really good records against in major conferences, uh, Seton Hall, 48 and 16, uh, Rutgers, 39 and nine, Providence, 48 and 10. Do you want to know why the Big East is trash? Cause look at the teams we're listing out. <laughs> like, like these records are in, these records are pretty impressive considering like how long we shared a conference together. Yeah, I mean that that's the the secret sauce of the Big East was like we were always <laughs> it good. Was five UConn was always good. Uh Louisville when they were in the league was always good. Pitt was usually good until March. Um and then all these other teams would like be good one at a time. <laughs> like, well George Georgetown was usually good. Georgetown was yeah, even towards the end though, like not that good. Um Villanova was yeah. good once Jay Wright got it going. But like you know, you'd have a Seton Hall moment here and a St. John's moment there and, uh, you know, Providence moment Fun here. time Providence made the Sweet 16. Like. Right. And like, oh, that's cute. They're good for like, uh, well, literally like one year stretch and have like probably flying out in the round of 32. But like these programs were never all good at the same time. So the Big East, while people like long for it, there was so much trash at the end of that conference uh, in the conference schedule. Like there was definitely more fun, bigger rivalry games uh, overall than what we have now. But I think, like, the depth was, like, aside from the years where we had, like, 10 or 11 teams make the tournament, like, the depth wasn't always there. And even when we did have those teams, like, the last couple of them were, like, better than your 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 mediocre Big Ten team. But it wasn't like these, these teams were year in and year out just, like, you know, really, really – formidable though you'd maybe get like one of the Catholic stools or two of the Catholic stools that would be like rising up for a moment but the consistency really wasn't there yeah and that's why like I kind of like still like throw shade now because I like look at him like eh, like is Butler really but I mean Butler is pretty good but like you look at like the rest of the league it's like eh, Creighton to Paul like come on some longevity Seton Hall's like legit probably the best maybe the best team in the Big East Nova's a little down um Providence is okay. Georgetown's still Georgetown. Um, yeah, it's just like, I mean, if not for Villanova, like if not for Villanova winning two titles, people would like, people wouldn't uh, maybe not consider the Big East, at least the ones who think about it for that long. Like the Big East would not look like a legit like power six. Um, no. And obviously, you know, playing that game's always perilous because then it's, oh, well, if not for the one good thing, then right. you could also, yeah. Two national also- titles is not nothing. Right. But like we don't the rest call of the conference can't claim those. Right. It's like we don't I mean, and this is this is a total ridiculous comparison, but like people know what the West Coast conference is. And it's not like Gonzaga's just kind of a different thing. And like we're not that far and it's not the same. We're not that far from Villanova just kind of being a different thing most years than most of the Big East. Like the only difference is like usually like you have a couple St. Mary's versus like a St. Mary's every three years. Like we now have with like the West Coast conference well, yeah, um, and, you get, and you get a better TV deal. Definitely helps. Better brands, right. um, better pizza, Papa John's. Um, <laughs> Christ. Speaking of, of media Catholic schools, we're also 50 and 26 against BC. 
Keep it going. Yeah, we, uh, sorry, I was just looking over at Orange Troops, just closing the loop on that conversation. We're 56 and 39 against UConn. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, when it's hard, arguing with UConn fans isn't like the greatest because they obviously have the national title edge, but um, it wasn't for that. <laughs> if it wasn't for that, and that's a lot, it's a big thing, yeah. and I'm not going to argue with them over the four versus one thing, and I'm not going to bring up Tyler Rolander. But, um, yeah, it's just like for the vast majority of uh, the two teams' shared existence, like we have been a much better team. Um, they had a really, really, really high peak, and they should enjoy that because it may never happen again. I would actually be surprised if it did happen again. <laughs> but hey, Even though we're joining the Big East. Hey, it's all full circle. Way to go, guys. Uh, well, that's really it for me. Um, Dan, anything else before we depart? We're going to be uh, back at this in just a few days. Um, for those who want to hear us more, we're going to be back on Monday um, with an episode previewing the NC State game. Yes, thank you for everyone putting up with our, our late in the week show. Um, but overall, just uh, excited about the football staff hires and everything as we, we recapped. Excited to get back to uh, hopefully winning basketball this weekend. And uh, we pushed forward through the, the long February. Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully there's nothing to talk about with football, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, take it over with off. When does spring on, start? End of the month? Uh, they've month? yet to announce a date for any of it. Um, the fact that the Dome is probably not going to be available for a spring game probably means we might not have one. Um, installing a new defense and offense, potentially. I mean, the offense is going to be the same, but bringing new coordinators, I would almost, I'd be surprised if Dino had like an official spring game of any sort. It wouldn't be surprised if our offense looks not like radically different, but enough different that it's going to be interesting because like he did make a big point in that press conference of like he and Gilbert, not just being like clones because what would the point of that be? Um, So I'm interested to see uh, what Gilbert brings. Um, But we again might not really have any understanding of that until the regular season rolls around. Totally. And I guess that's fine if it results in wins. Yes. Anyway. That's Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Overcast, any other service you listen to us on, and go orange. Go orange.